Hello everyone and welcome to the Changing Lives Recovery Talks podcast sessions. This is a podcast created to explore, celebrate and share the powerful and unique experiences of how recovery from addiction is possible and what this means to people. Each session on Recovery Talks, we'll be talking to people about their personal experiences and points of view on recovery and addiction. This will hopefully help us to explore all aspects of addiction and contribute to an ever-growing, more relational understanding of, of addiction as an adaptation to difficult life experiences. On today's Recovery Talks podcast, we're talking to Oliver Standin from Collective Voice and Danny Haynes from the NHS Addiction Provider Alliance and the Midlands Partnership Foundation Trust. I'm Andy Ryan. I'm Head of Recovery and Addiction Services for Changing Lives. And welcome to today's Recovery Talk sessions. Today, I'm joined by Oliver Standin. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks, Andy. Uh, pleasure to be here today, having a conversation with, with Danny and yourself. Uh, so my name is Oliver Standing. I'm director of an organization called Collective Voice. And Collective Voice is the um, National Alliance of Drug and Alcohol Treatment and Recovery Charities. So Changing Lives um, is one of those organisations that's part of Collective Voice. So we do the kind of policy and advocacy work uh, around this topic and particularly with a, a kind of voluntary sector slant. That's great, Oliver. Thank you very much. And thanks for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And Danny, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um... Again, pleasure to be here um, speaking with you both. Uh, my name's um, Danny Hames and um, I am chair of the NHS Addiction Provider Alliance, um, which has been in existence since 2016. And uh, I think currently we number 14 NHS trusts who work across England with the Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership, providing um, drug and alcohol treatment services um, across the country. Um, and as you as you mentioned, Andy, I also work for the Midlands Partnership NHS Foundation Trust, and I'm head of inclusion. And inclusion is a specialist division as part of that trust that provides um, community drug and alcohol services, prison drug and alcohol, and mental health services, um, IAP services, and sexual health services. So I'm I'm fortunate in that I have that sort of insight into similar and connected services as well. So yeah, thanks thanks for having me. That's great stuff. Um, and thanks a lot for that, Danny. And and thank you both. I know um, I'm, I'm sure everyone can lay claim to this at the minute. There's, there's plenty happening. There's plenty doing. So I really appreciate kind of shoehorning a bit of time in for us to have this chat today. Um, so what we'll do is, is um, and, you know, we've got these three questions that shape today's conversation, hopefully, but we'll roll yep. with it and see where we're at. So I'll kind of kickstart things off. Um, and see see where we go with that. The, the first one really was um, thinking about you both joining us today was about raising awareness. There was this whole thing about raising awareness. And and interestingly, I, you know, I, I, when I think of this, I think of maybe some of the recent campaigns, particularly around mental health, where we're talking about, you know, having to talk about mental health more and raise awareness. Um, and and this, uh, this is true, of, I suppose, lots of powerful subject matters out there right now, more nationally, um, internationally, and across the world, that we do need to start talking more about what's ha happening for us. Where do, you, where do you both think we are nationally in relation to understanding and talking about addiction? Um, and are there any steps we can take to improve this or is there anything that you're currently involved with um, that you think is improving this? Um, I think in terms of the the profile and the insight to addictions, um, it's quite fragmented. I think people's understanding and insights into it um, I think 
it's often associated um, uh, with crime. You know, a lot of the sort of, if I can just say, Joe Public's interaction with with that is is often uh, it's it's from a possibly from a crime perspective, and I think you know, and and governmental view and, and input is 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 sort of mixed. Um, however, I, I do think that you know, and I, I've worked in and around this sector for around you know 15, 16 years now, but I, I think. Um, I'm sort of increasingly hopeful that actually where we need to start is to get a coherence amongst ourselves about how we are trying to communicate with regards to the challenge of addiction um, and achieve some coherence, you know, uh, and, you know, a good example of that is actually between, you know, the NHS APA and Collective Voice, you know, me and Ollie over the last, I'd say, sort of 12 months particularly, have been really starting to think about and work together on actually how how do we, with other key stakeholders, try and start to get a consistent message and challenge out there about addictions? Because I've I've always been of a view: look, if we can't if we can't come together ourselves and actually say in in terms of the greater good, what are the key things we want to be saying, but also challenging around, how are we supposed to expect other people to understand that? Um, so I'm, I'm actually more hopeful than I've probably been for a long time, but I think there's a lot of work to do and, you know, everything's shrouded in stigma. Um, and uh, one, one of the best things I ever did was actually probably not work in addictions for a period of time. And I worked sort of in broader health and social care with a, a, a sort of a medium sized sort of long term condition charity. And I think what that did is it sort of reminded me how important but also how niche the drug and alcohol treatment slice of the pie is, the sector is. And because um, when you're in it, and you know, it's, it's, it's important, but you feel like it's the whole world. And then once you step out and you go, actually, how, how do you get our voice heard much more clearly, more broadly, realizing actually how sort of siphoned off we can be um, is, is something that's really stuck with me. But um, I'm hopeful. I am hopeful. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's, that's great to hear, really great to hear. Um, because I think, I mean, I've, I always see myself as having this luxury, really, at times that my, my entry point into the drug and alcohol treatment field was through quite a therapeutic route. Um, and there's a lot of narrative at the minute around trauma informed and um, adverse childhood experiences and people trying to understand maybe what brings about this relationship with substances. But nevertheless, the that bigger picture, I think, as you've just described there, is like, how do we join up all the dots? Because I, I've often been fascinated in the sector that I've witnessed exactly that, where we've not joined up yet. There seems to be a bit of a parallel process because when we're supporting the individual that walk, walks through the doors, they're often quite fragmented as well and disconnected. And sometimes I see the system as being quite fragmented and disconnected. And there's, there's quite a fascinating parallel process that occurs. And it's it's really exciting to hear that you're kind of taking those steps into well, how do we build and join this? Then I don't. What 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 are your thoughts on that, Oliver? I mean, I, I yeah, what Danny said definitely resonated. Um, it's such a big question and it's such an interesting question. I suppose my starting point is, you know, drug use, alcohol use, addiction, recovery. None of these are static, fixed concepts. They're all dynamic and they're all complex in the way they affect 
people and families and communities is also dynamic and complex. It's changing all the time. Uh, different patterns of drug use, different life experiences that people are bringing to the issue. Um, stigma is such a massive part of our world, and I don't think we can ignore that. Um, I think I'm an optimist by nature, but I'm also very or try to be very pragmatic. And I don't I'm not someone who thinks all that stigma is ever going to go go away ever. That does something to that does need, seem to be something in human nature, which uh, others groups of people with different kinds of, of behaviors or, or different life experiences or you know, people look different or whatever. And there has been some fantastic progress around mental health. Um, don't get me wrong. And I think to some degree around addiction, but I don't think that's ever going to all completely go away. Um, so I think we're yeah we're a, a a place we're we're a sort of a place of mixed fortunes if you like or, or mixed successes. There's some really good stuff going on, but there's lots of kind of big themes which are sort of flo floating above us or you know we're we're in them. They're they're shaping the systems that we're in. There's a big been a big cultural move towards involving people with lived experience uh, that I think one of you mentioned and that's not just in our field obviously right across different fields of patient in involvement and patient in engagement people being involved in research uh, that's you know that's surely something to be celebrated that's surely not that it's easy and it's not that we all get it right all the time because we don't but that is surely a good thing in terms of generating a human-centered kind of view of the world um, I think the move, the, the the focus in in other fields towards inclusion health, and actually conceptualizing health and health service provision as a matter of inequality, uh, and therefore that there's a that there's there's an associated kind of moral duty to reduce those health inequalities. You know, we don't drugs and alcohol doesn't seem to feature in the sort of standard conception of inclusion health, but all our folk pop up in different guises in that inclusion health, but we sort of not in there. So I think one of the big cultural shifts, maybe, uh, you know, of the next decade or so, are we going to go sort of down that route and be more firmly part of the inclusion? I think that could be really um, useful for us. Um, you know, the, another big thing from the um, from the pandemic has been about the role of technology in delivering interventions and yeah that's been that's been really exciting but as, as as we all keep saying it's important to keep sight of the fact some people very much do need that um you know one-to-one -one support from a person in a direct way in the same room uh and other people absolutely going to benefit from a, a remote um remote delivery of an intervention mm. And just just picking up on that 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 theme then of, of stigma as well. Um, I mean, do, do you, uh, uh, like as you've travelled through the sector and as you've been kind of meeting people and uh, um, and on your I suppose your your personal kind of journeys that kind of wisdom from the system stuff. Um, I, I often talk to people in services where we talk about stigma, and I, I speak to a lot of people that are kind of actively um, dependent on substances, and they will talk about this kind of internalised version they have where. It's what they think of themselves, whether that's been adopted by what they've been told or how people view them or just generally how they formulated that themselves. But then they'll also talk about a cultural aspect of like, not normalization, but and I tend to hear this more around alcohol, but people kind of saying, but it's what people do. You know, it's what we, it's what we were doing. We were drinking or we were using drugs or 
Do you think there's a cultural challenge as well that we need to review our relationship with substances? Um, and just thinking about England or the UK, do you think we need to do that? Or do you think that's too kind of heavy handed or, or too one size fits all or? I suppose it depends. I'll, I'll just jump in while, while Danny's thinking. I suppose it depends how we look at it, doesn't it? If we if we see drug use or alcohol use as the problem, then we need to look at our relationship with drugs and with alcohol. If we see drug use or alcohol use as a symptom of an underlying problem, then surely we should address our aims on that underlying problem in addition to, let's say, the drugs and alcohol. And the problem has been that it's much easier to say drugs are bad, let's do stuff about drugs, than to say poverty's bad, stigma's bad, trauma's bad, social exclusion's bad, let's do loads of stuff about that. Which isn't to say that governments have never done that, because obviously they, they have tried that from, uh, you know, not just government, lots of other people have, have done amazing work on that. But I suppose it speaks to that you know what I think of as a, as a as a deeper, more systemic, and and better, basically better understanding, which is backed up by evidence of addiction being a symptom of all those things, yeah. and for people with addiction problems not to have necessarily had wonderful lives, which were kind of derailed by this transgressive substance of a drug, uh, but actually the drugs being used as a as a source of comfort you know, for the other stuff that was going on in their lives. So I suppose I'm saying, that, you know, the primary focus needs to be on that underpinning stuff. Not that that's easy to do, because it's not at all. It's actually really difficult, um, you know, but I'm not dismissing the, the importance of the question of the, the healthiness or otherwise of, you know, the British relationship to drugs and alcohol. Although I would just say there's no one relationship. You know, people talk about like the British way of drinking as if it's this monolithic thing. I mean, you look at the data, loads of young people aren't drinking. You know, it's really geographically skewed based on age of people, ethnic background. So it's actually quite a complex picture of who's drinking and yeah. how. And, and you know, to, to take your, your point earlier, actually, the the... The effect of substances on individuals is is really heavily influenced by you know their their economic position etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so the you know I, I I you know I I'm I'm sort of been doing this long enough to remember when we used to talk about inequalities and not health inequalities, um, which you know and there was there was a there was a purposeful shift in that and I, and I think some of the the inequalities that you know are evidence and proven and Marma speaks to it quite extensively you know clearly impacts on on the use of substances and you know I, I I don't think any of us have really got the power to substantially change or influence those you know more embedded inequalities but I suppose I'm sort of a pragmatist and I suppose what and this does speak to stigma, but I, I think it's it's slightly more broader than this. Is is what I see my role and what I can influence to be about is it's about working in a way that with the resources which are available to citizens, you know, or patients, um, that the resources which are available are getting to those people who require them, and 
you know and in part i think stigma affects it sometimes consciously and unconsciously by people and i take this from being decision makers nationally regionally through to local people's own internal stigmatization etc um but what i think we need to get better at as a, as a sector is articulating um the needs of the people who use our services and also those who don't which is a huge proportion um and actually engaging with the broader health and social care system much more smartly to say actually these people are, have needs but these needs aren't being met so you know i'll, I'll give one example you know I, I think if you looked at rates of hypertension within our services and then looked at how many of those people are actually being actively treated around their hypertension I strongly suspect that it would it would not be there would be a lot of people who are untreated. Those people are, you know, are the individuals who will experience heart attacks, strokes of the future, which has a huge financial impact on on the the broader health and social care system. So I think there's something about that sort of inclusion health perspective, that health inequalities perspective, as an opportunity to take advantage of now, and actually say, look, there are people who are seldom heard within many services who we have access to but the resources are not reaching them. And, and I think we're at a critical point in actually making that argument because there is huge amounts of resources and money being spent. It's just they don't get to the people using the services that I and Ollie, um, you know, represent in, in some way. Um, and I, you know, so for me, it's like when we think about raising awareness, there's, I think, vitally, vitally important. It's something that we've sadly lost not through the efforts of many, but is actually that sort of patient advocacy voice of lived experience. You know, as a patient or service user group, actively independently lobbying and making the case for investment um, and for their voice to be heard. Um, and I, I think, again, I'm, I'm optimistic that I think that's changing. Um, so I think that voice needs to be supported to be independent and gain traction. Um, I think in terms of raising awareness, another key point for me is around um, actually articulating the individual stories much more clearly and broadly. So outside of our sector, because actually alcohol and drugs, you know, there's not many people you speak to who haven't been affected or know someone who's been affected by alcohol or drugs in some guys. Um, so there's a lot of stories to tell, which actually I think the general public would would it would build um people would would understand and buy into but i also think the other key key thing and this speaks to my health inequalities point about raising awareness is around making that sort of population health this group of people have these needs they're not being met it's the right thing to do but it's also actually a value for it's a cost effective thing to do is actually to get people access to respiratory care to get their hypertension treated um you know, all things which actually from an NHS perspective are in 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 long term plan for the NHS. It's things that they want to be doing and engaging with. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think if, if we can make progress on those things, which, you know, I think steadily we're starting to, we will be much better place. But that's my role. My role is to try and link those things together so that the people who walk through the services I'm responsible for actually you know what? they get access to a proper mental health service locally. And at the moment, hand on heart, I can't say that's the case everywhere. And that's something I think we, we need 
we need to raise awareness about and change. Yeah, and there does seem to be a better awareness now about the necessity of a systemic approach to issues like these, I think. So, um, yeah. you know, we, 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 we talk about you know, there's lots of different approaches on this. So there's there's meme, for instance, which is bringing together those issues and trying to uh, work out better ways for mental health services, homelessness services, criminal justice services, addiction services to work together both on a practice level, actually at local authority level, using a model and generating information and data around that, but also on a policy level. And, you know, it speaks to the fact that when we've historically isolated these issues, split them up into separate concepts, each given them each a label, then built services around that label so that different interlocked facets of people's human need are each met or maybe not met, but nominally met at a different place by a different service, maybe with a different culture and vocabulary and levels of funding and levels of political backing and salience. Um, you know, it doesn't, that as a model for meeting all these interlocked needs actually just doesn't really work very well. And it's really easy for me to say that not, this is actually really difficult to do on the ground, but it does, it, it at least feels like there's, there's more people having more conversations about what a systemic approach could look like, including, you know, I've spoken to senior civil servants and they're really, you know, they're really kind of sold on this idea that yes, it's about drugs and alcohol, but it also has to be buttressed by work around the interface with the criminal justice system, with the mental health system. It's about the welfare system. It's about routes into primary care or acute health settings. You know, it's about homes and and, and certainly Dame, Dame Carol Black's review, which we'll, we'll get onto, I'm sure, does seem to have a reassuringly 360 degree conception of what recovery is and what uh services government departments resources need to be marshaled and aligned to to help to bring about a flourishing system where those things can be met together mm. yeah I, I think i think the black review is 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 hopefully going to be that sort of text and roadmap that sort of we can we can hang everything on and say this is what we need to be working towards and aspiring yeah. towards um because you know we we talk about you know we we talk about the the, the sort of person centered offer and i and it is incredibly difficult to do but we 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 need to be trying to work to create that system that enables that um you know and it, it's it's interesting because and you can see some signs where i think you're starting to see this change even ten, more practically as well is you know for instance you you the community mental health framework sort of an HS England document, you know, there is a there is a, a line in it which talks about the requirement of each integrated care system to adequately meet the needs of those people with um, dual diagnosis or a co-occurring condition. Um, but actually the variance in terms of the re response to that varied in different areas is, is really, really mixed. Um, but, you know, I, I've become aware recently in, in one area where actually off the back of some work around health inequalities, actually the community mental health framework, there is now significant NHS investment coming in to filling that gap. And for me, there, there's, there's some real insights into that about how you pull together that sort of individual experience, but also the data, the evidence, health inequalities to make what is a tangible difference to the people at the end of the line, which we're here for. 
you know, in this area, they will get, I don't doubt it, a better resourced service provided jointly between local authority and NHS than they were getting before. But the challenge is as a sector and as, as stakeholders within that is, is how we demand that everywhere. And it's, you know, it's, you know, one thing I sometimes think is it's almost you, um, it's sometimes it's felt like you walk through the door of a community drug and alcohol service and you almost abdicate your um, rights as a, as, a, as a citizen or patient for every other service. <laughs> That's an oversimplification, but sometimes it feels like that. It's like, well, why aren't our service users just getting access to that care? Because if they weren't in our service, but they might not be, but they might well just be getting care through their, organised through their GP. It, you know, there, there's something in that sort of struck me as being a little bit sort of bonkers, really. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. And hearing you frame it like that, I, I, that's you know, I know I'm sitting here smiling, but it's that smile of recognition because I think absolutely the, the amount of conversations I have that people will, will have said to me over the years, um, but I've been told to sort my drug and alcohol problem out first. And it becomes this default place of, but that means you're not getting access to everything that you need. So, yeah. Um, and just uh, to be honest, this, this feels more like supervision now with you too. It's like, I just want to, <laughs> I want to check, check something out with you um, to make sure that I'm not skipping off into some utopian future. Um, but I I think just off the back of what you were both saying there, I, I've always experienced, um, and, and it, I think a lot of the time it gets called innovation. And I think you mentioned like the bigger stuff there, um, Oliver, around meme. Um, but just in services where I'm seeing kind of pockets of funding being accessed to pilot this or to do that, it's almost like the system is saying this is what we need. This, you know, so there's this core functionality of, say, a drug and alcohol treatment service. And there's very few services I, I, I don't oversee now or have connections to where there's not lots of pilots happening or funding that's been released either centrally from government or is accessible through different means like particular for ourselves as a charity or but it, it's almost like there's a there's a whole narrative in that of the service like stretching itself and saying but we need this and we need this and this would really help because um this is about housing this is about health this is about um a, a, a more recent one where we worked with um a, 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 a local hostel on palliative care and just you know that 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 real good end of life yeah. uh, care quality. I, I just think these things emerge out of really goodwill. Not all of it's about pounds, shillings, and pence either. Sometimes it's just about the obvious of joining up the dots and connecting. Um, and I think you both mentioned there, uh, just just hinting towards Dame Carol Black and ICSs, and you know the the potential future. Um, and I I feel very hopeful about that. I don't know if. If either, either of you want to kind of just put your hand on my shoulder and pull me back and go, just hang on, hang on a minute, this is, you know, but I, I genuinely sense that there is opportunity. Um, there, there is learning to be had as well. And what really excites me is is prevention as well. Just thinking about, I, I've worked probably too long in the sector now where I see far too many people, particularly coming into drug and alcohol treatment services, when it's all gone wrong. You know, what What can we do to prevent that pain, the suffering, the lo loss of housing, loss of family connections, loss of social connections, loss of health or potential impact of, on future health? Um, so the, the idea that there's potential for prevention as well, which is, you know, to take the learning from what we do. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We we know a lot of this, I think. I don't think it's I'm not sure it would shock many people, um, but pulling that together has got potential. Am I? Am I reading into the kind of Dame Carol Black-esque energy and stuff like that and thinking, this is it, this is the moment we can... 
we, we, we should be enthusiastic. We should be optimistic at this point in time. Absolutely. But there's no certainties when it comes to politics. So it's, it's certainly not nailed on. It's certainly not 100% that we're going to have this glorious future unrolling in front of us that, that you've outlined, Andy. Um, I think it, I think we're in a really strong position. Uh, you know, if you look from a top-down view, you've got to look where is the political will to make change happen. That's what it all boils down to. And at the moment, we've got a prime minister who is interested in drug treatment albeit through a lens of criminal justice, but really interested. And you've got a series of ministers who are interested in it as well. You've got uh, a massive independent review by a, by a respected reviewer, which will be published soon in about a month, probably, which we kind of we've got a broad brush understanding of what's going to be in it. Most of it sounds good, good, more than good. Great, really, really great, actually. So th the stars are aligning but of course it doesn't guarantee anything because the review could land and given the context of the pandemic and of sort of general chaos and, and a quite a febrile political atmosphere at the moment um, it could be overlooked that's not impossible it could have a partial response you know I think there's going to be about 30 recommendations in it well the government may choose to respond to some of them uh, but maybe some of those big ticket items that will really bring about systemic change, they'll be the ones which aren't responded to. So you see what I'm saying? There's there's lots of there's lots of contingencies. You know, then we've got there could be a response, but what about the funding? There'll be the the the, the comprehensive spending review, sort of probably gearing up fairly shortly and to be concluded and and uh, you know the results shared in the autumn. So if there's no money in that no matter how wonderful the report is and or even how positive the government's sort of narrative response is to the report, unless there's money to uh, put back into the system and get past this phase of pilots that you talked about. And I, I, I'm pleased that you're seeing that as a positive and about services innovating and trying new things and everything. I think that all of that is true, but we mustn't get stuck in that pilot phase because a lot of money's just been taken out of the core treatment and recovery offer and like dancing around the edges doing stuff is great if it's generating new learning but if it's one year pilots it's so hard to 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 do isn't it to operationalize we've spoken about that andy and my risk is that you know politically it's quite attractive to come up with a snappy acronym and say oh here's two years money to do this well actually can't we just have the money back into the main bit of the system like it's much more sustainable isn't it so i suppose I'd, yes but let's break out into the kind of core funding phase beyond the innovation phase yeah i, I couldn't agree more it's um you know i, I think I, i'd like i'd sort of broadly agree with what ollie said you know i think we should be hopeful um because I, I think that the fact that the, the black reviews actually occurred has happened has been initiated the fact there is more cross-governmental interest is, is is all good you know because to be honest we've we've sort of been walking down a pretty pretty dark tunnel for quite a long time and um you know i think phase one of the black review you know it, it spoke to actually how you know just the real nuts and bolts the engine room of sort of treatment services have just just been steadily degrading and you know we've got to put that back together um so 
it, it's it is that investment for actually the real real bread and butter of the work we do that we need to get but we you know we need to read we need to support our workforce we need to in, you know increase the the variation of people and their expertise and professional registrations we're employing. There's a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, the pilot monies and extra monies are good and they're helpful. Um, but yeah, you don't you don't want innovation's great, but you need to get you need to get your core work done well and properly. Because actually, if you do that well and you do it solidly, good solid pharmacological interventions, psychosocial interventions, recovery work around that, good system partnerships. Do you know what? A lot of people do well. Um, but you need the funding for that core bit with the people who know how to do it. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I, I think we will see what happens. Um, I think there are some big risks around the fragmentation of the system. It's that's always been the biggest challenge to our to our area is the fact that actually we touch lots of different departments of state, so we're not anybody's number one priority necessarily. So you sort of have to get them all on board and then that translated down to regional and local commissioning systems across health, local authority. That's always been our biggest, biggest disadvantage, which is why, you know, some people liked it, some people didn't, but that's where the NTA was useful because it gave that unifying sort of perspective to it. Um, so I do think there are risks going forward in terms of the fragmentation and the, the separation of different functions for public health out into different elements uh, i think there's some 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 concerns there we need to we need to keep a careful eye on but you know i am hopeful um and even if things don't go our way you know i still go back to what i'm saying is actually we need as a sector to be unified speaking with as much as we can one voice explaining the impact of addiction for families and individuals but also making those really really strong population health arguments or health inequalities arguments because actually um there was huge amounts of unmet need and people getting ill before they should not being treated it cost the state a fortune you know I, I think we if we keep going back to that and keep pushing that forward um we, we we may get you know we may get increased investment by default because we get better at accessing the range of funds which are out there um but I'd rather a scenario where we just get a really good spending review, <laughs> so we can just do more for people. Really, it's yeah. um, it's been a hard ten years in that respect. You know, just watching uh, things fall apart. Uh, well, no, I agree. Um, you know, we know what works. That I suppose I'm slightly contradicting what I said. Recovery, of course, it's personalised. Of course, it's different for different people. Of course, there's some mystery over it. And you know, I I don't have that lived experience, so I'm sort of saying that as an outside observer. But at a broad brush level, we do know what works. We actually have really robust evidence base um, on a lot of these interventions. I mean, you know, methadone, uh, you know, hugely, hugely researched and evidenced intervention. Some of the psychosocial support models as well and kind of mutual aid doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean there's some route plan for you know, in a generic way that works for everyone. Of course, it's about using the tools in different ways at just the right time with the right person and building that therapeutic alliance to kind of push it all through. Absolutely. But we do basically know what works quite well. Mm. And I suppose that's the risk of the kind of, we'll do some innovation and some shiny new stuff. Well, hang on, what about all the old stuff, which actually works really well? Can we, can we get a really well-resourced, well-balanced system which enables people to develop mm 
and flourish. And so the the the, the work which which Danny and I have done with colleagues, we've taken this idea of kind of systems leadership, you know, coming together, some of those leadership voices within the system, acknowledging that we might have differences of opinions on certain things, which is fine. That's the way the world kind of parking those to the side a little bit and working out what that bit in the middle is that we all agree on because it's actually a much bigger area than the bits we don't agree on and then um in a, in, a, in an open and collaborative way and not, and not in a way which is saying you know we've cracked it and we're the experts but it's kind of here's an attempt at a worldview of how we can work together to bring about positive change with then using that as the basis for the kind of, you know, talking at conferences and the joint articles and responding to the black review and stuff like that. Mm. And if you, if you, sorry, Andy, but if you, you, you talked about um, the mental, there's a movement in terms of mental health, there's the opening and actually what broadly that field did well is organizations came together and I'm sure they had their own disagreements, but they generally spoke with one voice. And they got people outside of their sector involved in advocating, um, you know, and, you know, that, that's why it worked. And I think there's, you know, possibly a similar thing in terms of the HIV movement as well, you know. Um, but as a, as a group of organisations, communities, individuals who ultimately generally have the same outcome, which is they want people to not get unwell and to get as well as they can. Um, we should be able to come together and actually work together like those fields have. And I think it will serve us much, much better than possibly what we've not managed to do as well in the past. And I, yeah, and I, I was just going to say there as well, um, I, I'm sure just from a few, well, from a lot of people I've spoken to, they'll, they'll be so, and I'm hoping that they'll be listening into this, um, they'll be so relieved to hear um, what you were both speaking about, about getting the basics right, because the, the amount of people that I speak to that have worked in the sector for long enough, and it really is, it's like, it's so difficult. I know what to do and I know how. There were questions around capacity, there's questions around demand, there's, you know, so um, absolutely. And, I, you know, I've been part of lots of meetings where it's really nice to hear that confidence in, in people currently providing that support, saying, I, I know what to do. It's just having the ability to do it, really, to help people and that flexibility and capacity, which, you know, hopefully we can find a way of bringing back um, because again, I, I've had those difficult conversations as well, where we find ourselves in that awful position of of this this um, support that's being offered is about health and well-being, yet it's having an impact on the people's health and well-being delivering it, and and that's that's a really a sticky predicament to be in. It's like, hang on, there's something inherently wrong here. It's not a not a blame and shame game, but um, definitely one of those kind of push the pause button moments and let's have a think about this and. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the people that I've spoken to, well, I'm sure would be very excited, uh, particularly, I mean, I feel it as well, listening to the two of you talk about that uh, and having that continuity because, you know, over the years I've spoken to different providers, um, small providers, big providers, and, and, and people that have talked about things like commercial sensitivity and delivery. I just think this is health. This is public health. Let's get our heads together. Let's, let's help people and do the best we can, you know, with what we've got. I, I think, um, you know, and stepping forward as as we hopefully move forward and you know more positively and hopefully repair and rebuild some of the things that have been lost is um you know and I, and I know for me and in terms of our organisation and I'm, I'm sure others I think there's there's the need it's about having some reflection about how we protect that going forward and we don't sleepwalk into scenarios where 
you know, particularly because of the commercial nature of very commercial nature of sort of drug and alcohol treatment that, you know, possibly we've we've overstretched ourselves at times or sort of said or think we can cope with things we can't. And, you know, I, I think moving forward, I, I think it's really important that we all go, actually, how do we protect this? What What is the minimum? What What do we need to provide? And actually, what won't we compromise on, even if that's what's being commissioned? Mm. Um, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, I think for me, it's, and I think for the, the APA, it's actually, you know, we, we've got to be really responsible responsible guardians for the bit of this we have some influence and responsibility for but again i think that really strong powerful patient advocate voice is needed in this because you know if you if you look at other areas of health and social care some of the things we've experienced in in this field would have not have just passed by so quietly if there was a organized and um, influential patient advocate voice you know, you, you wouldn't see this in, in cancer. You wouldn't see this in stroke. You know, it just, it wouldn't be the same. And um, going forward, uh, I think that's really, really important. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I'm aware of time as well. Um, we've, we've, time has flown by. Um, we've got a few minutes left. So I, I, I suppose, um Really, if we just think about that last question um, that, that we that we had for ourselves, uh, there was a bit in there about kind of what brought you into doing this. But in all honesty, you know, I think I've heard that today uh, from from both the passion that you have for everything that you do, but your experiences as well. Um, but I mean, is there anything that you've got any kind of wisdom from the from, from the journey that you've got? Any any advice? Anyone inspire inspiring to work in this sector or? Um, anything generally that you'd just like to share with anyone that's took time to listen into this today um, whilst you both sit in there? I don't know if, it, if I can claim it as a piece of wisdom, Andy, but <laughs> I know you're, you're, you're somebody who's given to, to kind of deep deep contemplation about the universe and, and, and so on, which is, which is great and I always enjoy uh, talking with you. I suppose I just jotted down some stuff on my, the Word document which you shared and I kind of wrote, worked at AdFam. I think I've got kind of a deep sort of quite a curious mindset like I, I love digging into stuff and I love digging under things and working out how things work uh some kind of humbling experiences of working with people so worked brought what quite widely with family members who've been bereaved through through drug and alcohol use but the one I wanted to kind of settle on was actually I just wrote serendipity you know and there's it's so there's there's many things in our lives for good and ill which are actually steered and governed by happenstance by serendipity, by by chance, you know, I saw a job advert at some point and then you do that and then you do a bit of this and then you work out what you like and then you have something comes out of the blue and you experience something awful and then you get back on your feet. And um, so I suppose it was just in, in terms of trying to think of something in, 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 in the sort of wisdom vein, I suppose harnessing harnessing serendipity and trying to develop a mindset where we can see that as a positive and we can be kind of agile in uh, taking advantage of stuff which is sometimes put before us and it almost involves letting go because you're saying actually there's some really big stuff outside of me which is really important and it might take things away from me but it might also plunk an opportunity in front of me so I suppose that kind of 
going with the flow of the universe and trying to look out for opportunities and trying mm. to develop a learning mindset where you're learning all the time and it's sometimes painful because you get things wrong and you know make mm. a howling mistake but but trying to kind of once the once the pain's gone away a bit trying to learn from that or you know becoming a parent and you you learn from that don't you so that that's that would be my it's really interesting listening I'm, I'm sitting here smiling listening to you because it's you've just reminded me of um when I, when I first got into recovery, when I went into treatment services, someone gave me a copy of the Serenity Prayer. I could have yeah. killed them. I could have <laughs> absolutely killed them. I'm like, what what on earth is this? You know, yeah, you've got no idea what I've been through. And it took yeah. quite a long time for that to to settle in, really, and say, you know, yeah, just accept the things you can't change. Yeah. You know, stop. Because everything, but, but you know, and, and it was really interesting having that as a reflective tool, because what I learned was, you know, I was always embedded in the things I had no say over, which was going to determine which way my life was going to go and therefore my mood, which I would then use substances to regulate, which was yeah. a fascinating connection to make eventually. So, yeah, absolutely with that. Yeah. Um, Danny, any anything from you? Uh, wisdom. I'm, like, I'm good to ask about that. Um, I suppose like, I, I sort of... The, the last question you put, I sort of thought about a, a bit, really, I, and I suppose, um, I suppose I'm, I'm, you could call it unfortunate or fortunate, but I'm, I'm quite, I think I'm quite lucky, in that, you know, I come from a, a family which experienced addiction. So my, you know, my mum was an alcoholic, and you know, I was in essence a, a young carer. So I've, I've sort of come through that and actually I don't think I'd be sat here being able to do this today if it wasn't through actually the actions of the state in terms of social housing but also organizations like you've been part of and responsible for you know they made huge difference to, to my life um, and I've been a, a practitioner through to a manager and a service through to, to doing this role now um, and I think what what that does and what and I don't always do it as perfectly but it's sort of what I always try and remind myself of it and I'm, I'm not going to lay claim to this to this quote because it was from Kevin Fenton who's the regional PHE director but um if, if we know better we should do better and I think that's that's something that's really stuck with me and you know I, like Ollie was saying and I think you were you were saying Andy you know we have to be agile we have to be nimble in how we take advantage of opportunities but I also think that sometimes we have to be really assertive about actually this isn't working or you know this 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 need isn't being messed missed the system is failing and not in a way which is about you're getting it all wrong and people are all bad you know because I don't actually believe it. I think most people are trying to do the right thing they have constraints but let's not put sticking plasters over it and you know the, the reason I say that is because um, what I've experienced and where I came from and what I've seen with lots of the people I've worked with and the, the things I've experienced is is sometimes some of those sticking plasters or things that we've tried to put over things you can, I can absolutely see why we do it and on a personal level why we do it, but they don't solve the problem. So I would say to anyone who gets into this field is, um, you know, speak up, say, say when you think we could do something differently. If, it, if it's not working, you know, talk to people around you, create networks, um, advocate, um, you know, 
remember that yes there's what we do at work but we're also citizens and actually what can you do to influence more broadly you know with with your politicians and and, and things like that so I don't know, it's a bit a bit of a ramble but it's you know I, 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 that that's the thing that drives me and that's that's the thing I you know I think we we should all be pushing and, and doing and I think if we do that we'll, we'll do okay I, and I, I yeah I totally agree with what you were saying there Danny in fact listening to you describe probably my pathway into this role um, I started out connecting with people advocating getting involved in networks raising voices um, and find myself where I am today as well so I, yeah absolutely absolutely categorically agree So before we finish, I mean, what I would like to say is, and this is, this is you know, uh, a huge thank you to you both uh, for taking part in this today, but also, you know, Collective Voice, um, the NHS Addiction Provider Alliance, um, both got websites, both really good to follow on social media. If you want to know what's happening, stay connected. This is putting you on the spot a little bit, but um, probably should have asked you this beforehand. Is there anything particular um, that we need to plug that's happening from um, Collective Voice or the Provider Alliance at the moment? Um, aside from just directing people towards the websites and the social media? We're going to be doing uh, a website, not a website, a webinar with uh, with Dame Carol Black. Uh, we're going to be promoting that really soon. We're just pinning down dates and, and comms on it. So yeah, just just watch out for social media. Uh, follow follow me or follow CV and, and please come along to the webinar with Dame Carol. We can get into some of this policy stuff in a bit more detail. Thanks. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, check the website out follow us on twitter you, you could follow me but i don't think i'm that interesting on twitter um but um uh, we're we're um we're actually at the moment working our way up towards actually doing a campaign um around stigma and starting to raise the profile of that and raising awareness and we're also um our conference in october which is free an online conference we're bringing a range of speakers um from nationally and internationally around to talk around the subject of stigma in relation to addictions as as well so uh, please go on the website and, and join that conference because um hopefully it's going to be uh, food for thought so Thank you both for joining us today. Um, and um, hopefully we, we can speak again in the future, maybe maybe post um, Dame Carol Black reviews and, and, and the learning and, and pick up the thread at some point. Um, so with that, um, yeah, we'll speak again soon. Thank you a lot, Oliver Standing and Danny Haynes. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate the invite. Ho hopefully see you both in, uh, in the real world soon. <laughs>